0: Shana, thanks for filling in for Howard. Howard is not feeling well today, and so Shana found out about 10 p.m. last night that she was going to fill in for Howard, so thank you, Shana, uh, for doing that, serving so faithfully uh, here at church. Um, my name is Alan Pittman. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, I would love that opportunity after service is over with. I have the pleasure of serving as a senior pastor here as well as one of the elders. And we are absolutely thrilled that you are worshiping with us today, whether you're here in the building or whether you're worshiping online. If you're worshiping online, we'd love to have you here in the building the next opportunity you have to be here. Hopefully, when you came in, you picked up a worship guide. On the back of the worship guide, there's a place to take notes. And you'll see that we're in the middle of a series in the book of Acts. And um, we're going to be wrapping that up in the next couple of months. Uh, but today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 25. And then next week, you'll see at the bottom, we're going to be in Acts chapter 26. Before we get to the sermon, though, I want to make one announcement, and that is this morning we are uh, collecting a benevolence offering, and we do that typically on the fifth Sunday of the month if there is five Sundays, and this month has five Sundays, and so we're doing that this morning. Uh, There are offering plates in the back of the room. Any of the uh, money that lands there will automatically go towards benevolence. You can also give online uh, and mark benevolence when you do that. Of course, we'd ask you to continue to give as you plan to the general fund, but if you want to give above and beyond that, we'd love for you to give towards the benevolence fund. We use that fund in a lot of different ways, and over the last couple months, we've used a good portion of it as we have been able to bless Primera Bautista Iglesia uh, as they were they experienced a ... I said that backwards. If you speak Spanish, I know I said that backwards. I I said First Baptist Church, and that's not how you say it when you say it in Spanish. But anyway um, uh, they uh, are, are a church in, in Bryan, and their church was broken into And so we helped cover some expenses with their insurance and things like that, and then also we've been seeking to help out the Heslop family with some of their costs, so we'd like to be able to get some more funds into our benevolence funds to be able to be a blessing to more, uh, more people in the future. So if you came prepared to give, then please do. If you didn't come prepared and you feel led to do so, be sure and do that as well. Um, If you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under your chair or near you, around you, and you can use that Bible this morning. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that home with you. That'll be our gift to you um, because we want everybody to have access to God's Word. Um, We'll be looking at Acts chapter 25, so you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, Before I read the text, though, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard something like this? Never discuss politics. Or religion in polite company. Have you ever heard that? People go, uh-huh. yeah. So you can relate to that uh, to that conversation. Imagine yourself, and maybe you're like, don't have to imagine real hard because uh, we're heading towards Thanksgiving and Christmas. But imagine yourself at the family celebration for Thanksgiving, and your crazy uncle is there, and he yells at Grandma about something about politics, and she fires back at him. Sometimes people, when it comes to politics and religion they avoid it and the reality is when it comes to religion or spiritual beliefs if we're not careful we end up with this idea of I don't want to talk about it and so whatever works for you works for you whatever works for me works for me and I'd rather not talk about it but the reality is we are called by God to live intentionally if you're a follower of Jesus to share the gospel and therefore conversations about religion and disputes or disagreements will come about. Um, So over the last few weeks, as we've studied the book of Acts, we've seen several disagreements that have happened as Paul is sharing about his faith in Jesus and religious leaders are none too happy about the conversation. So this morning, the sermon's title is this, Is Jesus Really Alive? Is Jesus Really Alive? The way you answer that question will make all the difference in the world. And so we want to dive in and look at this question and how it applies to this text and kind of see what God is wanting to do in our lives because of that. Just to kind of bring you up to speed, last week we were uh, continuing our journey through the life of Paul, and he was in front of the Roman governor. The governor's name is Festus, as Festus is appealing, uh, sorry, as Paul is appealing his case to Caesar. We're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 25, reading in verse 13 through the end of the chapter. Here's what it says. Now, when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, and here's the case, there's a man left prisoner by Felix, that was the governor before him, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the the Jews laid out their case against him. "'asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. "'I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans "'to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face "'and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. "'So when they came together here, I made no delay. "'But on the next day, took my seat on the tribunal "'and ordered the man to be brought.' When the accuser stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute, and there's the dispute disagreement that comes up, they had rather several certain points of dispute uh, with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss, how to investigate these questions I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them, but when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. I'm going to pause right there. If you were here last week, that's basically what happened last week, with a little bit of exception. Festus makes himself look a little bit better and more concerned than he really was, but it's basically an outline of what took place last week. Then, verse 22, Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes tribunes, and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I, but I have nothing definite to write to my lord, talking about Caesar, about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. As I said, this is repeating where we've been and now taking it a step further as Festus says, I'm getting ready to send Paul to uh, Caesar, but I don't feel like there's any charges that are sufficient of anything, and I don't want to send him to the emperor without some kind of notation about why I'm sending him, and Festus, would you please help me out here to write something to Caesar—that's kind of what's going on in this story. I want to give us a background of who we're looking at and what's going on. So here we are introduced to King Agrippa. This is actually King Agrippa the His father was King Agrippa the first. His great grandfather was Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the king that was in place when Jesus was born. And his father, like I said, is King. Uh, agrippa the first and he is mentioned in acts chapter 12 his father is and his father is the one who was attacking the church his father was the one who killed james the brother of john his father is the one who ends up being struck down dead by god because of what he had been doing so that's a little bit about who everyone is there in the line of herod agrippa it says that he brought bernice with him bernice is actually his sister And his sister, uh, I heard Lenny make a sound, and Lenny's thinking along the right lines, his sister had been married to their uncle, so she had been a queen. And then when that ended, she got married to another king. And in between, she kept coming back to live with Agrippa. It doesn't say it here, but history tells us that this was an incestuous relationship. So it was a little bit less than ideal. And here's Paul, apostle of God, who's being put on trial in front of Agrippa and his incestuous relationship with Bernice, but that's who these folks are. Now, it says that Festus goes, I mean, uh, Agrippa comes to meet him, probably because Festus is fairly new as the, the governor of Judea, and Agrippa has an interest in Judea, but the reality is, at this point, Agrippa is not ruling over Judea. Rather, Rome is taking control of it, and so Festus is directly in charge of it, while at the same time, Agrippa maintains authority over the things in the temple in Jerusalem, as well as naming the high priest. And so there's overlap of their responsibilities, and they're trying to kind of fill out the audience to figure out who each other is, and while he's there, he finds out about Paul. Um, Festus tells us that Paul is a prisoner left over by Felix. He's been there for two years The religious leaders had asked Festus to condemn Paul, and he says, I'm not going to do that. And I've heard his case. He's not guilty of anything, deserving of death. Instead, if you look at verse 19, he identifies what the real problem is. The real problem in verse 19 is what's going on here is there is simply a dispute about their religion. So in verse 19, if I go to the right place in my Bible, I will find it. It says there are certain points of dispute with Paul about their religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Festus knows that Paul does not deserve death and yet Festus knows he needs to send Paul to Caesar because he's appealed to Caesar and he doesn't want to offend Caesar and he needs something to put in writing about why he sent Paul. He doesn't want to simply say Paul asked to come here. He wants some kind of charge to list there. And so in verse 21 or 2, we see, 22, that Agrippa says, hey, I want to hear Paul. I want to hear him myself. And then there's a description of how they come into the assembly hall. They come in with great pomp and circumstance. There's a high display of their, of their royalty and of their high status. There's military officials and prominent men there. And, and Festus begins to tell the crowd, hey, the Jews are shouting that Paul should be killed, but he doesn't deserve death. We see the story over and over again repeating itself. And so at this point he says Agrippa could you help me out. As I said in verse 19 we see the central problem is what do you do with the resurrection? You see Paul in the previous chapters has been telling us I'm on trial for one reason and that one reason is resurrection of Jesus. So Paul knows why he's on trial Festus is able to look through and see what the real problem is. It's not a matter of civil law, but rather it's a religious dispute. So that's kind of what's going on here. I want us to spend the time now looking at verse 19, and then we're going to also look at 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to see the centrality of the topic of the resurrection and why it matters. So on your notes, you can see that this is not simply a matter of disagreement. When it comes to the question, is Jesus alive, it's not simply something we have a disagreement about or a dispute about. It's something much larger and much more important than simply a disagreement. In verse 19, when it says points of dispute, the Greek carries with that a forceful difference of opinion. There is a huge amount of difference of opinion on it. You're like, Alan, I don't even know why we're talking about this right now. We're in a church. We kind of celebrate Easter. We know that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. But the reality is this. Sometimes we can say with our mouth that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus and we may live differently. And we also live in a culture that wants to say, you can believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. You can worship him, but I'm going to worship another way. And the reality is that the central point of all aspects of life lies this question that we must answer, and that question is, is Jesus alive? How we answer that question will make all the difference. Paul claimed or asserted that Jesus is alive, and it all goes back to this. How does Paul know that Jesus is alive? We see it described two times already. We see beginning in Acts chapter 9 and then a couple of chapters ago, and then next week we'll see him repeat the same story. So three times in the book of Acts we're told the story of Paul, and the story of Paul goes this way. He was trying to persecute the church. He's on his way to Damascus to persecute the church when all of a sudden a bright light from heaven shines down, a voice comes from heaven, and it is Jesus himself, and he sees the resurrected Jesus. So Paul, in his experience, knew that Jesus was alive, and because of that, his life was literally changed. The mission of his life completely flipped. He went from wanting to imprison and kill Christians to going everywhere to everyone in all circumstances preaching the name of Jesus. So what was the message that Paul preached? We sometimes call it the gospel. We sometimes call it the good news of Jesus. Sometimes we call talk about salvation. What is the gospel all about? And I want to share the gospel this morning. I understand that many of us here are members of our church family. Many of us attend on a regular basis. Some of you may be friends or family. You may be guests. and The reality is whether you're a member of this church or not, whether you've heard about the gospel before or not, you may never have come to a point in your life where you really understood the importance of the gospel and trusted in Jesus as your Savior. And so today I want to clearly lay out the gospel because what is at stake here is that we may miss the whole point of the story of Scripture, which is our need for salvation, and we may make it a moralistic, a good teaching, a feel-good story, hope when I'm facing difficulties. The reality, the Scripture teaches our need for salvation. What is the salvation we need? Here is what the gospel looks like. God created us, he created me, he created you. He put within us his image, and his image means that we were designed to be in right relationship with him. But from the very beginning, the first man and first woman, Adam and Eve, traveling through all of us, we have willfully chosen to sin against God. We have inherited the sin nature within us, and we go our own way. We rebel against God. We, we do things our own way. We call our own shots, and we live as if God is not on the throne and that he is not in charge. And because of that, scripture tells us that the thing that we earn or deserve is death. And we looked a moment ago as Shauna held up a cow bone and, and we realized that the cow's not alive, the cow has died. And the reality is that all living beings, all living creatures, all people will face death one of these days. But the reality is that death that comes because of sin or separation from God is not the only real death the real death is is not only physical death but spiritual death as well you see God is holy and perfect and just he's right and he demands perfection he demands that we obey him completely and when we disobey against him which is a hundred percent of us then we become sinners and we are put away from God we are on exile away from him and we can have nothing to do with a holy perfect God but the good news, and we talked about it in my equipping class this morning as we were studying the doctrine of Christology or the study of, God, of Jesus, is the fact that we needed our sins forgiven, and the only way they can be forgiven is not by our good works, not by our good thoughts, not by our prayers, not by our finances, not by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, but rather the only way for salvation is the fact that God sent his son fully God, in the flesh, fully man, lived a perfect, sinless life, did not deserve death, and yet he willingly died on the cross, he laid his life down, he didn't get it taken from him, and he sacrificed his life on our behalf. Scripture tells us that he died in our place, he took the wrath of God for sin on his shoulders. And that in his death and in his burial And in his resurrection three days later, he overcame sin and death and Satan and the grave, and he rose victorious. The only way that you and I are going to raise victorious is if we know Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Has there been a time in your life where you've understood that Jesus died because you're a sinner in need of your sins to be forgiven? That you can't plead with God enough to overlook your sin short of trusting in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the way for salvation. And so whenever Paul says that the, Jesus is alive, it's absolutely critical because Jesus died for your sins. And the only way you receive forgiveness of your sins is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Has there been a time in your life where you've understood that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness? Has there ever been a time in your life where you believed that Jesus died in your place, and do you believe that He was raised on the third day, overcoming sin, death, and the grave? So I've got one question to ask you. I know I just asked you three. I get it. My, my whole group laughs at me when I say I have one question, but I have one question on the screen, and here is the one question on the screen: <clears throat> What is keeping you? from believing in Jesus' resurrection. There's some of you in this room, you're like, ah, I, 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 I think I believe it, like it's in my mind, and yeah, I've heard the Easter story, and I, and I know the grave is empty, and I've heard it a million times, and the preacher has said it, and I know it's written in the Bible, but I'm saying, do you dr- truly, genuinely believe it in faith? And if not, what is it that's keeping you from believing it? <clears throat> it could be your pride. I don't need anybody's help. It could be a lack of faith where you just don't even believe. You're like, that's hogwash. I don't even know if people use that word anymore. That's crazy talk. Like, it's not real. Like, how could God come to the earth and die and then be raised again? Maybe you think it's, maybe it's a lack of faith. Maybe you think it's outdated. Maybe you think, well, it's a nice thought. It's a sweet story, but it's just a fable. It's just a myth. It's just a church story. It doesn't make sense to you. My question to you is this. Do you believe that God made you to be in right standing with him? Do you want to spend all eternity with him living life on purpose with intentionality for why the creator made you? If so, it's essential that you believe that Jesus died and was buried and was resurrected so that you could have salvation. So is there anything? And if so, what is it that's keeping you from believing in Jesus' resurrection? I want to say one more thought before we move to the next point, and that is this. You're like, Alan, I do believe in it. I have genuinely placed my faith and my trust in Jesus. My question is, or my thought is, if you're already a believer in Jesus, do you simply almost yawn when you hear that Jesus is raised from the dead? Or does it still bring joy and happiness and peace and relief that God raised his son from the dead that you might have life eternal? I like that. Here's the second thing. The second thing. This, like I said, is not simply a matter of disagreement. The second thing is that everything is pointless if Jesus is not alive. If Jesus is not alive please hear what I'm saying and don't take a sound bite. If Jesus is not alive, we need to stop gathering on Sunday mornings. If Jesus is alive, you need to stop paying salaries of folks who work here. If Jesus is not alive, we don't have any reason to study the Bible. If Jesus is not alive, then we have no purpose or meaning in life. If you think that I'm over-exaggerating. Turn with me. We're going to read the words of Paul as it's written in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This chapter is phenomenal. Read the whole chapter. It tells the gospel at the beginning. It talks about the resurrection from the dead, the resurrection of the body, and, and how Jesus is coming back, and he's victorious over death, and it's an incredible chapter, chock full of good stuff. But I want to read... 1 corinthians chapter 15 beginning in verse 12 and i'm going to read through verse 19 and then keep your bible open there we're going to read the rest in a moment now if christ paul says if christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead but if there's no resurrection of the dead then not even christ has been raised and if christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain we're even found to be misrepresenting god because we testified that god had that about God, that he had raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep or dead in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul says, That if Jesus has not been raised, then Christianity is a complete farce. He says that our preaching is in vain, in verse 14. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain, verse 14. Then he says you're still living in your sin, and your sin has not been forgiven if Jesus has not been raised. That's found in verse 15. Jesus being raised from the dead is absolute bedrock of our faith. That's why we celebrate Easter, but the reality is every single Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Every single day is Resurrection Day, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. If Jesus hasn't been risen, hasn't been raised, and verse 18 and 19 tells us that when you die that's the end and you're without hope in life, that it's just all she wrote. You die and the body's dead and that's the end of the story if Jesus hasn't been raised. I've told this story to a few people. I shall leave names of churches and individuals out of the story, but this is what happened in my life. I was a youth pastor several years ago, more than a decade ago. I was a youth pastor, and our church was getting ready to hire a, get this, discipleship pastor. The discipleship pastor would then be my boss so as they brought him in, and I had no vote in the matter other than as a church member, but I had no vote in the matter, they wanted me to meet this guy. I began to talk with him, and within 30 minutes, he told me that he does not believe in the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is at a, this is at a first Baptist church, not in this state. He did not believe that Jesus had literally been raised from the dead. Rather, he believed it was figurative. It was a good story. It was a good kind of understanding of how life would be better. Do you hear how foolish that is? Now, don't get me wrong. The truth that Jesus has been raised from the dead is foolish to those who are not saved. I get that. But it's true. To say that a pastor of a Baptist church doesn't believe that Jesus has not been raised from the dead is absolute insanity and ludicrous. It's the bedrock of our faith. Needless to say, Ashley and I knew it was time to hightail it out of there, and we got out of there fairly soon. But I'm asking you, do you believe that the resurrection is so much more than just a good story or an Easter story or sit down and do a story on the flannel graph? I'm showing my age here. It's rather reality. Jesus is alive. And because he is alive, that changes, and I'm not going to my next point, I'm just saying my next point, that changes everything because it's pointless unless Jesus is alive. The resurrection is central to our faith. Yes, Jesus was crucified on the cross, but he was taken down. Yes, Jesus was buried in a tomb, and he was dead but that p- tomb is empty. Jesus was raised on the third day, and His resurrection is necessary for our salvation. There is no forgiveness of sin without the remission, uh, without uh, without blood. But there's also no forgiveness of sin without His resurrection. Paul says that if Jesus is not alive, then we are in our sin. You see, Jesus was not just a good teacher or just a good moral man. Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins, was dead and buried, and was raised on the third day. He overcame sin, he overcame Satan, and he overcame death. Now the questions I'm going to ask you may seem like they don't really match up, but I promise it does. The the statement is everything is pointless if Jesus is not alive, and so here are the two questions I ask you. Do you struggle in your life feeling as if life is pointless? Do you find yourself feeling hopeless? And I want to pause for just a second. And I want to say this. There are moments in our lives where life is tough. There are moments in life where we feel like we're maybe... On that hamster wheel just going over and over again. But the reality is this. If you are alive in Christ, then you know that Jesus has been resurrected. And when we know that Jesus has been resurrected, then life is far from pointless. Life is far from hopeless. And if we find ourselves feeling as if life is pointless and life is hopeless, then we need to remind ourselves, if we're a follower of Jesus, that Jesus is alive. And because of that fact, life is not pointless. Life is not hopeless. And we have something to celebrate all right i like it so how you answer the question is jesus really alive will flip us from feeling pointless and hopeless so i want to get to my final point and that is what i said a moment ago since jesus is alive that changes everything The beginning point of Jesus' resurrection changing everything, let's think about the cross. When you think about the cross, what comes to mind? What should come to mind is death, guilt, punishment. Granted, Jesus was not guilty, Jesus did not deserve death, but he took it on our behalf. But when we see a cross, it's rugged, it's vicious, it's a death tool, it's a method of execution there seems to be no hope in the cross right but when you look to the fact that Jesus' tomb is empty and he was raised from the dead then the cross turns from defeat to victory it turns from torture to to, to celebration it turns a tragedy into a triumph so we read first Corinthians chapter 15 those verses talking about what if the resurrection didn't really happen and how it was pointless and all that and now Paul flips the corner and he reminds him, but Jesus is alive. And based on that, what, what does that mean? So let's look at verses 20 through 22 of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man, talking about Adam, came death, by a man, meaning Jesus, has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. All who believe in Jesus will be made alive. You see, Jesus was resurrected, and his resurrection brings life. People are changed from being spiritually dead into being alive with God. If you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, you don't put your faith in a dead man. You put your faith in in the reigning, ruling king, and therefore there is life and victory, and we are alive in God. The fact that Jesus was raised from the life changes condemnation for our sin into celebration of forgiveness and freedom that's found in Christ and in Christ alone. We're no longer to live our lives for ourselves, but our lives have been changed so that because of Christ's resurrection, we're to walk in obedience to God. The only way that we have power to walk in obedience to God is the fact that he gives us that power. And the only way we experience that power is through his a lot, being alive the fact that he was able to uh, be victorious over sin gives us victory over sin it changes our sinful hearts so that we no longer want to pursue our way and we want to follow jesus's way and as a result of that sin within us is killed it changes anxiety into hope his resurrection changes futility into purpose it changes defeat into victory too often, we fail to realize the resurrection life and the victory that we have in Jesus. Now, I want to be really careful here. What I'm not preaching is a name it, claim it kind of faith. What I'm not preaching is, is, is a prosperity gospel, but rather what I'm preaching is the truth that because of Jesus's death, burial, and his resurrection, you and I have hope, and we have purpose, and we have meaning, and we have victory. That does not mean we get our way every time. It doesn't mean life goes the way we want to, but we can walk in confidence and boldness because of who Christ is and who he has made us in him. So we have victory because Christ is alive. But the reality is too often we live functionally as if Jesus were dead. And what I mean by that is if we're not careful, we end up walking through life failing to realize the resurrection life and the victory that we have over sin in Jesus. We'll resign ourselves and go, well, you know what? I'm just an addict and I can't quit it. You know what? I'm, I'm caught up in a life of sin and I can't walk away from it or my past is so dirty and and God can do nothing with it. The reality is that we have been called to walk in obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit that is within us, and the only way we can experience that is by trusting in his resurrection. If God is more than able to bring back to life one who is dead, he is more than able to give you the power to walk through life overcoming sin in his spirit the same power that raised jesus from the dead is living inside of every christian so don't just believe intellectually in Jesus' resurrection but be transformed by it have the power to live for christ through the victory that is in christ through his resurrection so i have three questions on the board for you on this one and really, it's going to sum up everything that we've looked at as a, a, through this message so far. Here's the first question. Have you been changed by the resurrection? Have you been changed by the resurrection? In other words, have you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus? And if not, could today be the day that you say yes to him? Has your life been changed by the resurrection? In the sense that you are walking in freedom and in victory and in power and in strength? Are you walking in hope and promise and victory? Have you been changed by the resurrection? Along those same lines, does your life reflect the reality that Jesus is alive? You see, I'm asking three questions. It's the same question, just rephrased, right? The third one is very similar. Are you walking in the power of the resurrection? Because of what Christ did on our behalf, it changes everything. Paul was able to stand in front of Festus, and we'll see next week in front of Agrippa the king, and he was able to boldly and confidently preach the gospel because he had seen Jesus with his own eyes, and he knew that Jesus had been resurrected. He knew that Jesus died and was buried and was resurrected for his sins to be forgiven, and that because of the victory that's in the cross and in the resurrection, he's able to walk in victory and confidence as he's lived out his life. So here are the things that I want to leave with you this morning. In just a moment, we're going to sing a couple of songs. And at our church, we typically have two songs for a response. And you can respond in either one of those songs in a variety of ways. And you can respond by giving in the offering. You can respond by dropping your connection card. That will be happening in the second song as some, uh, offerings be—I mean, the offering place will be passed then. But During both songs, you can respond by praying at your seat, praying at the altar, coming to pray with me, grabbing a friend and bringing them up here, or maybe praying at your seat to ask God to give you clarification on some issue that's going on in your life. But Here are the types of things that I believe God may be calling you to say yes to this morning. Because of his resurrection, because of life that is found in him, you may need to be saying yes to any or some or most of these, and I want you to consider it. Some of you need to say yes to Jesus. You've never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus. Stop doing the church thing. Stop believing the Easter story as being a good story. Stop thinking you can be a good moral person and really allow the truth and the reality that Jesus died for your sins to become reality in your life, say yes to Jesus. Another step that some of you may need to take is saying yes to baptism. We have baptisms periodically. We had one a few weeks ago, but some of you may have said yes to Jesus sometime in the past or recently, and you've never had the chance to say yes to believing, uh, showing that belief in him through uh, obedience and baptism. And you may be out saying, Alan, you haven't even preached on a, uh, baptism today. I'm not really sure what that is. I'd love to sit and visit with you, but maybe that's what you need to say yes to. Come talk to me about it. Put it on your connection card. We'll get in touch with you about baptism. Some of you may need to say yes to God in obedience like you are a follower of Jesus, but you're not living with purpose and with direction and intentionality. And the fact that Jesus is resurrected from the dead reminds you that you should be walking in obedience. And there may be a particular sin that God is convicting you of that you need to turn loose of to walk in obedience. Right along with that is you may need to say yes to holiness. It's not a word we use real often, but we should. God calls us to a life of holiness, We're to be holy as he is holy. You're like, hold up, Alan. I'm not God. No, you're not. But to be holy means to be set apart from, different from. And as we are following Jesus, we're being made more and more like him. And we are being set aside for his purpose and living in righteousness and holiness. Some of you need to say yes to telling others about Jesus. If you believe that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, stop sitting on that news and tell others around you on uh, whatever day that was, Wednesday, we had uh, Mark Heslop's funeral. And as Bill uh, uh, Edison told us and reminded us, that man, Mark Heslop, was an evangelist. He would tell anybody anywhere about Jesus because he believed that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. My question is, are you sharing that hope with others around you? There's all kinds of things that God is calling you to potentially do today. My question to you is, are you going to say yes to it? Is your life going to reflect something different because of what Jesus has done for us in his death, his burial, and ultimately in his resurrection? Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you this morning having been reminded of something that on one hand, we could go, oh my goodness, Like I didn't have to go to church today to hear that. I already knew that Jesus has been resurrected. But we need to hear the gospel over and over again because we become complacent. We become, uh, we, we become uh, just kind of dull to the reality that Jesus is alive. Father, I pray that you'd help us to walk in confidence, that we would walk in that truth, that we would walk in that reality, that our life would be different because of what Christ has done for us and through us. God, I pray that you would call out those right now that is within the sound of my voice that have not placed their faith and trust in Jesus, that they would hightail it down here to talk to me or someone afterwards or right on their connection card, that they would say yes to Jesus, that they would trust in what Christ has done on their behalf to die for their sins and be raised again so that they could walk in newness of life and in victory. God, I pray that you would convict us of sin that we may have that needs to be plucked away and pruned off of us so that we can walk in victory. God, may we walk out of this place having been reminded that Jesus is alive and that changes everything. And may we, may, may we uh, perceive every decision, every uh, thing in life through that lens of reality. So, in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? If you feel led to come forward, I'm here to receive you, to pray with you, to talk through whatever decision you may have, or come pray at the altar, but don't miss what God is saying to you in this moment. Let's sing.
1: Oh do you Oh, my
0: Is faithful. And I don't know, again, I'm not preaching prosperity or name it, claim it stuff. I'm just simply saying whatever you're facing in your life today if you're a follower of Jesus, if it's good stuff, bad stuff, challenging stuff, sin on your part, stuff that's coming at you, attacks coming your direction, whatever it is, have faith and confidence that you can and you should walk in victory, not because of who you are, not because of what you've earned, not anything, but because of the grace of God that is displayed in victorious power through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And may we walk in that confidence and that that truth, and may we Proclaim that truth to all those that are around us. I want to go ahead and invite a couple of people down here. I'm going to ask Diana to come up here. I'm going to ask the medlocks to come this way. Diana's, uh, go ahead, Diana, come on. Diana's uh, name's not going to be on the screen, but hopefully the medlocks are. Um, Tony and Jennifer Medlock have just joined our church. They've been a part of us for a while. They've officially become members. And y'all can just stand here on the, on the floor. Um, so this is. Tony and Jennifer, and in just a moment, when I dismiss, I want to ask y'all to come down here before you leave here and greet these family, this family and say, we are so happy that you're a member of our church. If you're not a member yet, maybe you should follow suit. And then also come down here and thank Diana for 25 hard years, especially these last five years. Her boss is difficult. Uh, uh, stop. Hey. There's a reason why I didn't give you a microphone today, Diana. God is good. And as we leave from this place, as we are dismissed, we are walking in the victory of the resurrection of Christ and we're doing it as a church family and we're celebrating what God is doing in and through us and in our midst as we're seeking to be disciples, make disciples, be the church to the glory of God. So come down here and thank these folks and welcome them and thank Diana for what they do as a part of our church family. You're dismissed.